0: Listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit SouthPoint.org. If you're like me, I often just go through the motions of life. I even think back to some of the New Year's resolutions that I had just a matter of almost, you know, weeks ago, a matter of months ago. And now it's like, oh, well, I'm already into the year. I missed them once or twice, and so I'm done. And so this year is probably going to mostly look like last year, by and large. Now, we can look around and say, oh, I'm working from home, I'm doing something. But for most of our lives, we are simply going through the motions, so here's the question I want us to stop and think about just for a moment this morning, because I don't want this to be just another part of our routine lives. But the question is this, why are you following Jesus? Why are you following Jesus? Because if I said, how are you following Jesus? Well, we know the right answers to that. And if I said, what should you be doing more to follow Jesus? you I've got that. I've got that on speed dial. I, no worries. But why are you following Jesus? In some of this room this morning, you're saying, I'm not. I mean, I'm really glad you're here. I'm, I'm stoked that you're here. But this would be a, a question for believers, those who would say, I am following Jesus. My question is Why? I think many times in our lives, we talked about it for the past couple of weeks, what is the good life? Jesus has been teaching the disciples and the crowds and the Pharisees and the hypocrites, those who are good, those who are bad. He's been saying the good life is this, living for the kingdom, living for eternity, not living for the temporary, living for the now. He's saying the good life is found in sacrifice. It's in me, it's in Jesus Christ. So my question is, are we proactively following Jesus to attain that good life? Or are we reactively following Jesus so that he can provide the life that we want for ourselves? We've come to this passage so far. We've seen a a, a few different things, but we'll pick up in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 49. We've seen so far that the crowds, the Pharisees, the most religious folks, they've shown up. uh, And we don't live this life of following Christ because we're overwhelmed or we're surprised, or we're preoccupied. And Jesus says, wake up, wake up to the kingdom. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be caught asleep. Don't be caught up in the things of this world. And so this morning, as we come and we look at this passage, I want us to be reminded of that. Man, why are we following Jesus? Is it for us or is it for him? From Psalm chapter one, nineteen, and verse eighteen, it says this. I want you to repeat these words after me. This is our public prayer, and this is, as Jason said, as Chris just prayed. This is us publicly saying yes. Let this be true. May this be our voice together. Repeat these words after me. Open my eyes, Open my eyes that I might receive, that I might receive. God's, wonderful God's wonderful word to me. Amen. May this ring true in our hearts this morning. So Luke chapter 12 and verse number 49. We see here, we're going to go through chapter 13 and verse number nine. And it's broken up nicely into five different sections. The first section is this. I want us to walk away with this truth is that following Jesus will get you the same results that Jesus got. Now, if you're an English teacher in the room, you're like, that's not proper English. For the other 99% of you are like, that makes sense to me. (laughs) You know, So just know that I'm acknowledging that so you can say, okay, he's not a complete fool. Now we can move on. Let me hear what he has to say, all right? So following Jesus will get you the same results that Jesus got. Pick it right here, verse number 49. Jesus does have some really hard words for us. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and and would that it were already kindled. He's saying, I wish that that fire were already here. That's pretty wild. But notice what he continues to say. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's looking forward to his baptism. Let me, let me, so we just saw right here, he says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided. So he's saying to take a typical home of five people. He says three against two and two against three. Don't get caught up in the numbers there. What does that mean? Is there like some, and he's just saying it's going to be divided. That's his big idea. They will be divided. Some of these things make sense, right? They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, that's where you say amen, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You're like, okay, now, <laughs> okay, yeah, Jesus, you know what? He was right. I didn't really understand this passage until right there. Now we can pray and go home. Big idea. So he says right here, I have this baptism. Now, we, John the Baptist used baptize. He says, there's one that's coming after me, right? John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he comes before Jesus, and he says, there's the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God is coming to take away your sin, So when John the Baptist talks about baptism, though, he's talking about, and throughout the Old Testament we see this, baptism, that word there almost always means this baptism of fire, of judgment. Even in the book of Job, he uses this word, I was brought under, I was brought low, and he uses the Hebrew word for baptism. He says, I was overwhelmed, I was in this pit. But here Jesus is not saying, hey, I have to be baptized again, because Jesus was already baptized by John, right? With water. With water. Jesus is saying, here, I do have this baptism of divine judgment. Jesus is saying, I am going to the cross. We already saw in Luke chapter 9 and verse number 51, he has set his face like flint to Jerusalem. He's heading there. He's saying, here, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on me. His divine judgment is going to be on me. All of hell's fury is going to be poured out on Jesus Christ. And he says, I I wish, he says right here in verse number 50, he says, I have a baptism, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus is saying, I cannot wait to get through this wrath of God the Father until I can say, it is finished. He has set his face to Jerusalem. He has set his face towards the cross, towards crucifixion. His mission, the mission that he's been given by God the Father, corresponds to the division that he is talking about right here. It corresponds to this division. From the very beginning, we see throughout the scriptures, we have uh, on on one side, uh, the, the people of God. We have God's people and starkly on the other, we have people who are in rebellion against God. We see this all throughout the scriptures. There are two groups of folks, the people of God, they are opposed by the other. So think about the story of Noah. God says, man, there is so much wickedness on the earth right at the very beginning. He says, if I only had one righteous person, he finds Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives, eight people total out of probably tens of thousands, at least at that point. We have on two sides of the divide, the the righteous folks, those who are God's people, who he spares, and the rest who are put into the water. We have Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to have this mark of circumcision. not going to go into details on that one. But he says, you're going to be marked as my people. There are going to be the circumcised and the uncircumcised. I think about the story of Esther. She helps to spare the Jewish nation because she stood firm in her belief and her faith. I think about Daniel. Remember the story of Daniel the, the king said nobody can pray and what does he do does he go along with the rest of those who are rebels against God no he says i'm going to pray 3 days 3 times a day anyway facing out my window he gets put into the lions den but his life is spared because he is with God Shadrach Meshach and Abednego there's a divide there and they stood on the commands of God. So we see all throughout, and I could keep going throughout the Old Testament, we see this distinction, this divide, this separation on those who are the people of God and those who are in rebellion to God. So then we get to the New Testament and Jesus is saying here, there is this divide through all of human history, those who are for me, those who are against me. And he tells us this morning, church, that we are to be sojourners, exiles, pilgrims, aliens. We're simply passing through. We're either going to be, and Jesus is saying here, we are either sheep or we are goats. We're either sheep or we are goats. There are those who reject Jesus Christ, and when they see him face to face, whether it's in a second return or when you die and you face the judgment seat of Christ, that you are going to take the, almighty, the fire of Almighty God on yourself. The fire that he talks about here in verse 49. If you reject Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, his wrath is going to be poured out on you. The other option is for those who receive Jesus Christ in faith, Jesus Christ himself personally takes the wrath of God on himself. He accomplishes that for us. Those are the two options. And so when he says here, I've come to bring division, he's saying there are those who are going to be opposed to this. He doesn't say, "Hey, you can kind of toe this line." Hey, just let's just take these theological truths. You're always going to find somebody who agrees with you theologically, and hell is going to be filled with theologians, with podcasters, with authors, with writers, with preachers, with churchgoers, with church members. It's going to be filled with these folks. But if they are in rejection to Jesus Christ and Him as the only saving hope of the world, the wrath of God and His fire is going to be on them. So He says, "I've come to divide." This division is here. What are you going to do with me? That's the question for all of us. Jesus Jesus Christ divides all of human history. And the question for us this morning is, what are you individually, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to reject him in your selfishness or are you going to repent and receive him in faith? There is no neutrality There's no middle ground. You're either for him or against him. And he offers to take the penalty of sin on your behalf. We call this, if you're a a theology head or if you just like big words, penal substitutionary atonement. He atones, he pays the price. He substitutes himself. He takes the penalty that you deserve. He substitutes himself on the cross under the wrath of God and he pays the price for you. I, I think here as we we think about Christ. We're like, yeah, but didn't he come to bring peace? Didn't the angels in Luke chapter two come to proclaim peace? So we have here this this weird peace and division, but notice Luke chapter two, this is the angels speaking. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. There's no period right there. You notice that? Peace what? Who's the peace for? Who's the peace on? It's among those with whom he is pleased. Among whom Christ is not pleased, there is no peace. And some folks are like, ah, yeah, but doesn't, doesn't God love all? Isn't he, isn't he forgiving? And they're all, listen, man, this is what the Bible says. I wish it were different. <laughs> I do. For the sake of so many souls, I wish it were different, selfishly but because of the holiness and the justice and the majesty of God, because of his otherness from us. This is what Christ says. You either reject or you receive. I think Jesus here is, he's asking this question all throughout here. I came to do this. Folks are gonna be divided. He's asking us this morning, when when we think about the, the fact that what, what did you expect was going to happen if you followed Jesus? He, he's saying, he's saying what, what did you think was going to happen? Did you think that by following Jesus, that the world was going to reject me? But for you who follow Jesus, they're going to love you. They're going to respect you. They're going to accept you. Did you think that by following Jesus, there was going to be some sort of confirmation bias for your faulty beliefs? Did you think that uh, just by following Jesus, you're like, man, life is going to be way easier? My barns are going to be bigger. I'm going to have a better job. My wife is going to be hotter. My husband's going to be more loving toward me. My children are going to act this way. My bank account is going to be bigger. Is that what you actually thought was going to happen by following Jesus? He's saying that's not the good life. That's not the message of hope. That's not the good news of the gospel that I'm proclaiming this morning. And for those, who are in rejection to Jesus Christ, did you not think that Jesus would hate your rejection of him? This is a hard truth that he's proclaiming. He's saying, I've come to divide those who are for me and those who are against me. And what did you expect was going to happen if you say that you are for me? Examine your life. Why are you following Jesus? Is it for you or is it for him? It doesn't get any easier. Verse 54, not only does following Jesus mean you'll get the same results that Jesus got, but we see here in these next few verses that following Jesus means living for the kingdom of God today. Following Jesus means living for the kingdom of God today. You know the one app that comes on everybody's phone, iPhone, Android, whatever you got, Bluetooth, uh, what's it called, uh, Blackberry, Blueberry, I don't know, whatever it's called. <laughs> the, the one app that comes on everybody's phone and has since the very first time I got um, a, a smartphone, and even before then, you could still get it with a clamshell, you know, but it was the weather app. Everybody has the weather app on their phone. Somebody told me a couple weeks ago that they pay for a special weather app, and I said, you shouldn't tell anyone that. <laughs> that, that is not the most wise decision. He'll listen to this later. So I apologize. But everybody has the weather app. Why? Because they want to know what the weather's going to be like. Right? So you're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Duh. But why do you want to know what the weather's going to be like? So that you can be prepared. We all want to be prepared. Notice what Jesus says. He said also to the crowd. So he was just speaking to his disciples. He says to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once. A shower is coming. You look at your phone and you say, oh, this is going to happen. Yesterday, my wife looked at her phone and she said, it's going to rain. It says it's going to snow in two minutes. We looked out and it was just like the providence of God. God said, watch this. And it's like the sun just broke through, you know? I I wish I was a meteorologist. Then I could be wrong as much as I wanted to be and still have job security. Unfortunately, if I'm wrong about this, okay, we're cutting to pieces. We saw that last week. He says, a shower is coming and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. He says, we all want to be prepared. Everybody almost looks at their phone to see, man, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? What should I wear? Are we going to be able to play outside? Is is it going to be raining? Do I have to, if you live up north or uh, somewhere there's snow, do I have to put chains on my tires? Like, what is the weather going to be like? Everyone looks and wants to consider the weather, but very few are considering their eternity. Very few are considering their eternity. Jesus says, everybody knows what the weather is like. He he says, you can see what it's going to be like tomorrow, but in light of eternity, who cares? In Georgia, we talk about the heat, how bad it is, but have we even stopped to consider the fires of hell recently? I hope the mellish meter for tomorrow is fantastic. I hope it's an 11 or whatever is the highest one is, but that is of infinitely small. Infinitesimal importance compared to your soul. And we think, well, duh. But how often have we considered the weather or your soul even in the past week? How many of your conversations have been about one of those two things? Jesus here uses weather. We could use ESPN, the ESPN app. You could use your Gmail app. You could use wordle or hurdle or whatever else there is, turtle, you know, you're like, you can use whatever you want to. How many times have you gone to find your significance or satisfaction or to spend your time on these things rather than, do you have a Bible app on your phone? Have you opened up your phone to, man, what should I be praying for? Let me spend a few minutes in prayer. Can I text someone a word of encouragement? What does he call these folks? Verse 56, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. You can look at your phone. You know what, it's, what it says. You know what the weather's going to do. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? He says, right here in your midst, I've been performing miracles You've seen my power. You've seen my healing. You've heard this message of truth. And you are not responding to this. You hypocrites. You don't understand the critical nature of responding to Christ. Then he uses this little word right there at the very end. This word, chiron, is in the Greek. You don't know how to interpret the present time. Chiron literally means an opportunity That is being presented. But it's not a long-term opportunity. It's not going to always be there. It's a short-term opportunity that's being presented. It's a short season of time that is here now, but it's going to quickly vanish. He says here, don't expect tomorrow. He says, what what did you expect? I was just going to wait for you forever? What, What did you expect? You were going to live your life until the very last moment and then turn to me? What did you expect? You could live your entire life for yourself and then on your deathbed say, you know what? Now that I know what tomorrow looks like, I think now I'll turn to Jesus. Is that what you expected? Do you actually expect to have tomorrow? He says, don't even expect that. Following Jesus means living for the kingdom of God today. He finishes this section here in verse 57. Following Jesus cannot wait until the day of judgment. That's what we see in these last three verses here. Following Jesus cannot wait until the day of judgment. If you notice back in verse 54, he also said to the crowds, plural, lots of folks, okay? Hang on to that for one second. When you get right here to the end of verse number 59, he says, I tell you, that word you right there is actually singular. Now in English, the word you could be plural or it could be singular. I could say you or I could say you, right? That word right there in the Greek is important for it to be singular because he's saying this demands a response from you and from you and from you and from you. Individually, as we look at this text, you must decide what are you going to do with Jesus. It demands a response from you. Notice the story here. Verse 57, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you, singular, have paid the very last penny. In other words, he's saying, there's a debt that you have. As a debtor, you are being dragged to the judge. Once you get in front of the judge, all bets are off, and you are going to be in jail until you pay Every single last penny. We as sinners have a debt to God the Father that we can never pay. So Jesus is saying, don't wait until the day of judgment to say, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. You know what? Now I believe in you. No. Jesus says that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess to the glory of God the Father. But if you spend this entire life rejecting Jesus, then when you get to the day of judgment, Jesus is going to reject you. He says, don't wait until then. He says, what do you think was going to happen? I was going to let you live your life however you wanted to, give you all these warnings, come and die for you, and then not be true to the word of truth that I'm proclaiming? He says, no. He says, you have this right here in front of you. And these folks are looking at Jesus in the eyeballs. And they're just, "Eh, yeah. I'm still going to reject him. We have the word of truth here. and eh, I'll get around to it next Sunday at 1030 if I can find my Bible. Where the, you, we know how we are to live. We know where our hope is found. And so often we're asleep to that. He says here, you must take, we all take action in our personal lives with the weather, <laughs> We dress appropriately for the weather. Last week, everyone here was wearing like flowery, springy, It looked kind of like we were in Miami, you know, kind of weather. It was awesome. This week is like neutral colors, (laughs) you know, because it matches the weather. But we take the appropriate action in our personal lives, in our financial lives, with our children, with your job, with your time. You take all of these appropriate actions. And he says here, if you wait until the day of judgment, to take the appropriate action with your soul is going to be too late. Then we get to chapter 13. Not only is following Jesus, it means you'll get the same results that he got. Not only do we see in the next few verses that it means living for the kingdom of God today. Not only does he say that we shouldn't wait until the day of judgment to respond, but we see here in chapter 13 in these first five, five verses, it says that following Jesus is a life marked by repentance. So Chris already read it for us, but basically this was probably during the Passover time. And it says here the Galileans came in and Pilate sent these soldiers in. And while uh, they were offering sacrifices, they came in and they began slaughtering these Jews. It says that the blood mixed with the sacrifice there. They're like, man, this is, this is messed up. And then he says, Jesus says, uh, what about the tower in Siloam? It fell, And really, what was probably happening there is they were building this tower. It was in the process of being built. This tower fell, and it kills 18 people. Jesus asked a question. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Jesus is saying this. Do you believe in karma? He's saying, do you think that if you are good, then only good things are going to happen to you? And if you are bad then bad things are going to happen to you. Now, most people in here are going to say, no, I don't really believe that. But functionally, do you believe that? <laughs> functionally, are you a Buddhist? Functionally, are you an atheist? Like, I, good equals good, bad equals bad? Because he says, here, these folks, they didn't know they were about to die. Do you think, were they any worse? Jesus is like, yo, check it. Back in verse number 50, I said, I'm heading to the cross. Is someone going to look at me and say, he must have done some really bad stuff? I mean, that's a a mess of theology. What do you think is going to happen if you follow Jesus? We try to avoid death, but it's coming for all of us. That's what he's saying. So the next time you see a news story and you're like, man, this is an immediate, sudden death. Somebody dies when they weren't supposed to. It was this tragic accident. Be reminded, death is coming for all of us. You do not know how long you have. Jesus here is saying, man, I'm being really patient with you repent while you still have today. I talked about it before, but repentance is confessing with your mouth, saying, yes, this is wrong. This is sinful. But there's also contrition, this angst over sin that happens in your heart. And so for so many of us, we confess over and over and over and over again. But is our heart ever affected because we understand the gravity and the pull of that sin, and the effect of that sin. And do we ever get to this third step in repentance called change? Because that's what repentance in the end is, is turning from one direction, moving toward a brand new direction. Martin Luther said that all of the Christian life is repentance. Repentance is the mark of a Christian. Repentance is a gift Only two believers. I would plead with you this morning, and I would argue with you this morning, because so often we want to kind of revel in God's grace, which means living in our sin a little too much. Jesus died so that you can put your sin to death. Jesus died so that you can take whatever you are struggling with, whatever sinfulness or selfishness or lasciviousness, whatever that is, whatever you're looking at, the way that you're speaking, the way that you're spending your money, the way that you're treating someone, the thoughts that are happening inside of your mind, Jesus died so that you can take those things to the cross. Move from death to life. Amen? That's really good news for us this morning. Following Jesus is a life marked by repentance. But then lastly, we see here in these last few verses, is that following Jesus will result in a fruitful life. He tells a story, Jesus tells a parable about a fig tree It's planted in a vineyard and it's mostly useless for three years. And so what does the guy say? He says, I'm going to cut it down. And it was planted in a vineyard, which is kind of strange. That's not usually where you plant trees. And so this this fig tree is taking up space in this vineyard. So he's like, I've got no use for this. It's there. It should be producing plenty of figs because they would plant vineyards of grapes where, where the soil was most rich. He's like, if this fig tree can't produce figs here, it's nobody's fault but his own. <laughs> like The standard's not too high. Everything is placed right in front of you on a nice little silver platter right here. You're just not eating of it. You're just not believing. You're just not repenting. You're not putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He says, and that kind of tree is going to be cut down. See, in order to see a a fig tree's fruit, like we can look here at a fig tree. If you've ever seen one in real life, the the leaves are huge. Maybe that's why Adam and Eve grabbed those back in Genesis chapter (laughs) 3. They're enormous to to cover up with. But you have to get really close to a, a fig tree in order to see the fruit, right? You don't walk up, like you can drive by and say, oh, peach tree. Peaches, we see them from the road. Apple tree. With a fig tree, you're like, I don't know if it's fruitful or not. So for many of us, we're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm fruitful. I'm here on Sundays. Peace out from a distance. All right, see you later. And no one's engaged or involved in your life. That's how we know if there is fruit there, is by someone being involved in your life. Jesus is saying, what did you expect was going to happen? You were going to live your entire life without bearing any fruit, and I was going to be okay with that? Is that what you thought? You could experience the assurance of salvation and not have any fruit? Believer, if you are struggling with your assurance this morning of salvation, I would ask you where is the fruit in your life? Where is the fruit? Here's the, friend, we can look at the fruit of the Spirit, and what's the very first fruit of the Spirit there? Love. Not just any type of love. We, have, we love a lot of stuff. I love good, cheesy, pepperoni pizza. <laughs> like, there are certain things I just love, but the word there is agape. It's this Trinitarian love. The standard of the fruit that he's talking about here is Trinitarian love. He says, so if you are not producing the love of the Trinity in your life, you are not being fruitful. For many of us, we say, "Uh uh-oh, right? Am I producing the love of the Trinity in my life? So instead of saying, man, let me be filled with the love of the Trinity and share that love with those around me. You know what we do? We make a list of things that we can do instead so we can check those things off and feel better about it. You know, like a good Pharisee. Anybody else there? That's way easier. Plus, I get way more applause. I get way more pat on the backs and attaboys. And I can see the immediate tangible effects. But love is contrasted here with fear. Love is the opposite of fear. Because love is saying, man, I'm receiving this. I don't deserve this. I'm going to share this love from God the Father from God the Son, from God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to share this with others. But when we live in fear, instead of loving others, we begin loving ourselves. We call it self-love, self-esteem, self-care, self-help, self-actualization, right? That's what our culture says because we're actually fearful of being known by someone else. If I love you, no matter the consequences, what are you going to do with me? If I pour myself out for you, what if you don't accept that? What if you still reject me? But if our love is from God the Father, man, here's some love. It doesn't matter what you do with it. It doesn't matter what you say about me. It doesn't matter if you accept it or reject it because I've got more where that came from. My identity is found in Christ. It's not found in what you do with me. So are you living out of love for the sake of others or are you living out of fear You see, our sin and our shame is over here. Not only do we does it lead to self-love, to self-care, to self-help, but we begin to self-justify. Right? We begin pointing fingers. Hey, don't, don't look at me. Don't look at me and my sin and my shame. You know who needs to repent? Are the Russians. The Democrats need to repent. The Republicans need to repent. My boss needs to repent. My neighbor needs to change. My wife needs to change. My kids, they put me here. My parents, it's their fault. We begin living out of fear of being known. If you knew how jacked up I was, then you wouldn't fully love me, right? And we grovel in that, and we live and we exist in that fear of others. But when we look to the cross, there is no fear When we look to the cross, our shame is taken away. Because the love of Christ is displayed. He says, I love you. I accept you. I forgive you. Come and live out of this identity that I'm going to give you. I know how jacked up you are. That's why I'm dying right now. He extends that love. Is your soul Do you know that your soul is safe? Is your soul only at rest when you're able to look at someone else and say, I'm better than them? Is that the only time your soul is at rest? By being better than someone else. When your soul is exposed, when the shame of your heart and the sinfulness of your hands and of your mind, when it is is exposed, what do you do with that? Do you like Adam and Eve, do you run and cover up and hide? Or do you fall on your knees in repentance and in humility and bring that to the cross of Christ, celebrating the fact that he has paid for that for you? In other words, is your life marked by repentance? Is it marked by repentance? Because a Christian's life is marked by repentance. And when we see Christ, in all of his glory. When we see Christ right here in this scripture, in this passage, we move either to peace and we're like, man, yes, I am in Christ. He has spoken for me. His banner is over me. His blood has washed over me. His forgiveness is here. We either move to peace, which is why he came, or we move to shame. We either move to peace or we move to shame. In Genesis chapter three, what's interesting is that Adam and Eve, when they realized they had sinned, nobody had to come to them and say, Hey, y'all are naked. Go cover up, go put some clothes. Nobody had to. We know it, we feel it, we are there. Day in and day out, we are there. And so I would plead with you this morning to run to the cross. Find your hope and your security and your significance and a love that will never leave you, that will never let you go in Christ and Him alone. Receive Him in faith. Step back into kingdom life. We know that right here in this passage, Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem, He's walking toward the cross. Death is closing in on him. And he chose to die for us because he thought it was worth it. Friends, this morning, death is closing in on us. And Jesus says to follow him in this life because it is worth it. Whether you listen to talk radio, bless you, or watch it on television, or you see the news feed, Everyone around us is saying, be awake, be prepared, be freaked out. Stay stocked up, go buy guns, go build barricades. But you know what Jesus says, even here when his life is threatened? He says, lay down your life. Give of yourself, no matter what else is happening. Lay those things down. Friends, the days are short If you are not loving those around you, if you are not loving your creator, then repent this morning. Judgment day is almost here. Our church, South Point, I promise you this, our church is going to be known by our obedience to love Jesus and to love others. If you're looking for a church that wants anything else, that you want to make you feel good, man, I can can recommend some to you. If you're looking for a church that just wants you to live your best life right here, right now, if you're looking for a church that has the absolute best music and uh, the least sweaty preacher in the county, whatever you're looking for in your church, like I can tell you some of those, but our church is going to be marked by our obedience to love God and to love those around us. We as a church are going to be laying down our lives rather than protecting them. Our goal as a church is not to insulate our lives. But to live them for the glory and the kingdom of God. Instead of being a church that says, Look at them, look at how they need to change, look at what they look like, look at what they're wearing, look at what they believe, look at what they think, look at what they're posting, we're gonna begin by saying, Look at us, we are broken. Look at us, we need to repent. Look at us, we need a savior. It's only then that we can go to each other here in this room, that we can go to the lost and say, look at Jesus, he is risen. Look at Jesus, he satisfies. Look at Jesus, in him there is hope. Friends, life is short. Eternity is way too long to be wrong. The days are quickly approaching. Respond to him in faith Even this morning, living for him is worth it. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes for a minute, bow your heads. The reason we do this, by the way, I was thinking about this this morning, I'm like, what a weird thing. But we do this to show our humility. It's a posture of repentance, of being brought low in the midst of the greatness and the grandeur of Jesus Christ. You, You fall on one of two sides this morning. Maybe you've never believed and you're like, man, I want to believe right now. I want to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ living for me, dying for me, being raised back to life. I want to move from my kingdom to the kingdom of God. I want to move from eternal separation with God to right now being in a relationship with the creator of the universe. If that's you, would you just put your hand up in the air? Amen. Maybe there are some in this room you're like, I didn't want to put my hand up, but that's me. I get that. Would you pray this with me this morning, if that's you this morning in this room? Father God, I turn from my way of living I repent of my sin. I place all of who I am, my faith, my trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. I turn from my kingdom to yours. I lay down my life for yours. I surrender my will to yours. I want my life to count for eternity. I believe that Jesus Christ was put to death for me. I believe that Jesus Christ was raised to life for me. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit calling me now to repentance. Father, thank you for so great a salvation. Friends, welcome into the family of God. There may be others of you here in this room this morning. Maybe you've professed Christ, but you have never possessed Christ. Maybe you keep trying to lay hold of something for your own good, but the mercy and the grace of Christ has never laid hold of you. Maybe you would say, yeah, I've, I, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but my heart needs to be revived. I need a revival in my soul. I want to step back into the kingdom of God Man, I've, I've been living, I've been building, I've been pursuing my own kingdom for so long. I know that I'm God's child, but I've been living far from Him in rebellion against Him. I only ever so often step back into the kingdom of love and pursue His presence. Can I invite you this morning to step back into kingdom life? We, we know that because of the power in the strength of Jesus Christ, we cannot lose our salvation. And that's really good news for us this morning. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you say, I wanna step back into kingdom life, I want to know more fully the love of the Father. And I want the world to know more fully and more clearly the love of the Father. If that's where you are this morning, you're like, man, I need to live a life of repentance, a life of spirit-enabled power. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up? Amen. Father, we pray that the spirit would move even on these souls this morning. Father, we pray that you would use us for your kingdom. we surrender who we are, what we have, what we want to accomplish, what our goals are, our ambitions for your kingdom, for you alone. Father, I pray for those who just put their hands up. I pray they would experience your grace and your mercy in a special, tangible, life-giving, blessed sort of way. We want to be a people who know you and you invite us in May we take those steps even this week.